Book four, chapter two of the Cathedral by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter two, two in the house. A letter from Falk to Joan. Dear Joan, mother has been here. I could get nothing out of her. I had only one thing to say that she must go back to father. That was the one thing that she asserted over and over again that she never would. Joan, she is tragic. I felt that I had never seen her before, never known her. She was thinking of nothing but Morris. She seemed to see him all the time that she was in the room with me. She is going abroad with Morris at the end of this week, to South America, I believe. Mother doesn't seem now to care what happens, except that she will not go back to father. She said an odd thing to me at the end, that she had had her time, her wonderful time, and that she could never be as unhappy or as lonely as she was, and that she would love him always, Morris, I suppose, and that he would love her. The skunk that Morris is. And yet, I don't know. Haven't I been a skunk, too? And yet, I don't feel a skunk. If only father would be happy then things would be better than they've ever been. You don't know how good Annie is, Joan, how fine and simple and true. Why are we all such mixtures? Why can't you ever do what's right for yourself without hurting other people? But I'm not going to wait much longer. If things aren't better soon, I'm coming down whether he'll see me or no. We must make him happy. We're all that he has now. Once this Pibus thing is settled, I'll come down. Write to me. Tell me everything. You're a brick, Joan, to take all this as you do. Why did we go all these years without knowing one another? Your loving brother, Falk. A letter from Joan to Falk. Dearest Falk, I'm answering you by return, because I'm so frightened. If I send you a telegram, come down at once. Mr. Morris's sister-in-law is telling everybody that he only went up to London on business, but she's not going to stay here, I think. But I can't think much even of mother. I can think of no one but father. Oh, Falk, it's been terrible these last three days, and I don't know what's going to happen. I'll try and tell you how it's been. It's two months now since mother went away. That night it was dreadful. He walked up and down his room all night. Indeed, he's been doing that ever since she went. And yet I don't think it's of her that he's thinking most. I'm not sure even that he's thinking of her at all. He's concentrating everything now on the Pibus appointment. He talks to himself. You can see by that how changed he is. He is hurrying around to see people and asking them to the house, and he's so odd with them, looking at them suddenly, suspiciously, as though he expected that they were laughing at him. There's always something in the back of his mind. Not mother, I'm sure. Something happened to him that last day of the Jubilee. He's always talking about someone who struck him, and he puts his hand up to feel his forehead where there was a bruise. He told me that day that he had fallen down, but I'm sure now that he had a fight with somebody. He's always talking, too, about a conspiracy against him. Not only Canon Ronder, but something more general. Poor dear, the worst of it all is how bewildered he is. You know how direct he used to be, the way he went straight to his point and wasn't afraid of anybody. Now he's always hesitating. He hesitates before he goes out 
before he goes upstairs, before he comes into my room. It's just as though he was forever expecting that there's someone behind the door waiting for him with a hammer. It's so strange how I've changed my feeling about him. I used to think him so strong that he could beat down anybody, and now I feel he wants looking after all the time. Perhaps he never was really strong at all, but it was all on the outside. All the same, he's very brave, too. He knows all the town's been talking about him, but I think he'd face the whole world of Polchester if he could only beat Canon Ronder over the Pybus appointment. If Mr. Forsythe isn't appointed to that, I think he'll go to pieces altogether. You see, a year ago there wouldn't have been any question about it at all. Of course he would have had his way. But what makes me so frightened, Falk, is of something happening in the house. Father is so suspicious that it makes me suspicious, too. It doesn't seem like the house it was at all, but as though there were someone hiding in it, and at night it is awful. I lie awake, listening, and I can hear Father walking up and down, his rooms next to mine, you know, and then if I listen hard enough I can hear footsteps all over the house. You know how you do in the middle of the night? And there's always someone coming upstairs. This will sound silly to you up in London, but it doesn't seem silly here, I assure you. All the servants feel it, and Gladys is going at the end of the month. And, oh, Falk, I'm so sorry for him. It does seem so strange that everything should have changed for him as it has. I feel his own bewilderment. A year ago he seemed so strong and safe and secure, as though he would go on like that forever, and hadn't an enemy in the world. How could he have? He's never meant harm to anyone. You're going away, I can understand. But, Mother, I feel as though I never could speak to her again. To be so cruel to Father, and to write him such a letter. Of course, I didn't see the letter, but the effect of it on Father was terrible. He's so lonely now. He scarcely realizes me half the time, and, you see, he never did think very much about me before, so it's very difficult for him to begin now. I'm so inexperienced. It's hard enough running the house now, and having to get another servant instead of Gladys, and I dare say the others will go too now, but that's nothing to waiting all the time for something to happen, and watching Father every minute. We must make him happy again, Falk. You're quite right. It's the only thing that matters. Everything else is less important than that. If only this Pybus affair were over. Canon Ronder is so powerful now. I'm so afraid of him. I do hate him so. The cathedral and the town, everything seems to have changed since he came. A year ago they were like father, settled forever. And now everyone's talking about new people and being out of date and changing the cathedral music and everything. But none of that matters in comparison with father. I've written a terribly long letter, but it's done me ever so much good. I'm sometimes tempted to telegraph to you at once. I'm almost sure father would be glad to see you. You were always the one he loved most. But perhaps we'd better wait a little. If things get worse in any way, I'll telegraph at once. I'm so glad you're well and happy. You haven't in your letters told me anything about the Jubilee in London. Was it very fine? Did you see the Queen? Did she look very happy? Were the crowds very big? Much love from your loving sister, Joan. Joan, waiting in the shadowy drawing-room for Johnny St. Leith, wondered whether her father had come in or no. 
it wouldn't matter if he had he wouldn't come into the drawing-room he would go directly into his study she knew exactly what he would do he would shut the door then a minute later would open it look into the hall and listen then close it again very cautiously he always now did that and in any case if he did come into the drawing-room and saw johnny it wouldn't matter his mind was entirely centred on pybus and johnny had nothing to do with pybus johnny's mother yes had that stout white-haired cockatoo suddenly appeared she would be clutched absorbed utilized to her last white feather but she didn't appear she stayed up in her castle serene and supreme joan was very nervous she stood a little grey shadow in the grey room her hands twisting and untwisting she was nervous because she was going to say good-bye to johnny perhaps forever and she wasn't sure that she'd have the strength to do it suddenly he was there with her in the room big and clumsy and cheerful quite unaware apparently that he was never after this to see joan again he tried to kiss her but she prevented him no you must sit over there she said and we must never at least not probably for years and years kiss one another again he was aware as she spoke of quite a new a different joan he had been conscious of this new joan on many occasions during these last weeks when he had first known her she had been a child and he had loved her for her childishness now he must meet the woman and the child together and instinctively he was himself more serious in his attitude to her we could talk much better joan dear he said if we were close together no she said then i couldn't talk at all we mustn't meet alone again after to-day and we mustn't write and we mustn't consider ourselves engaged why please can't you see that it's all impossible we've tried it now for weeks and it becomes more impossible every day your mother's absolutely against it and always will be and now at home here my mother she broke off he couldn't leave her like that he sprang up went across to her put his arms around her and kissed her she didn't resist him nor move from him but when she spoke again her voice was firmer and more resolved than before no johnny i mean it i can think of nothing now but father so long as he's alive i must stay with him he's quite alone now he has nobody i can't even think about you so long as he's like this so unwell and so unhappy it isn't as though i were very clever or old or anything i've never until lately been allowed to do anything all my life not the tiniest bit of housekeeping and now suddenly it has all come and if i were thinking of you wanting to see you having letters from you i shouldn't attend to this i shouldn't be able to think of it do you still love me why of course i shall never change and do you think that i still love you yes and do you think i'll change you may but i don't want to think so well then the main question is settled it doesn't matter how long we wait but it does matter it may be for years and years you've got to marry you can't just stay unmarried because one day you may marry me can't i you wait and see whether i can't but you oughtn't to johnny think of your family think of your mother you're the only son mother can just think of me for once it will be a bit of a change for her it will do her good 
I've told her whom I want to marry, and she must just get used to it. She admits herself that she can't have anything against you personally, except that you're too young. I asked her whether she wanted me to marry a dowager of sixty. Joan moved away. She walked to the window and looked out at the grey mist, sweeping like an army of ghostly messengers across the cathedral green. She turned round to him. No, Johnny, this time it isn't a joke. I mean absolutely what I say. We're not to meet alone, or to write, until Father doesn't need me any more. I can't think, I mustn't think, of anything but Father now. Nothing that you can say, or any one can say, will make me change my mind about that now. And please go, Johnny, because it's so hard while you're here. And we must do it. I'll never change, but you're free to, and you ought to. It's your duty to find someone more satisfactory than me." But Johnny appeared not to have heard her last words. He had been looking about him, at the walls, the windows, the ceiling, rather as a young dog sniffs some place new to him. "'Joan, tell me, are you all right here? You oughtn't to be all alone here, like this, just with your father. Can't you get someone to come and stay?' "'No,' she answered bravely. "'Of course it's all right. I've got Gladys, who's been with us for years.' "'There's something funny,' he said, still looking about him. "'It feels queer to me, sort of unhappy.' "'Never mind that,' she said, hurriedly moving towards the door, as though she had heard footsteps. "'You must go, Johnny. Kiss me once, the last time, and then no letters, no anything, until—until—father's oh, happy again.' She rested in his arms, suddenly tranquil, safe, at peace. Her hands were round his neck. She kissed his eyes. They clung together, suddenly two children, utterly confident in one another and in their mutual faith. A hand was on the door. They separated. The archdeacon came in. He peered into the dusky room. "'Joan, Joan, are you there?' She came across to him. "'Yes, father, here I am. And this is Lord St. Leith.' "'How do you do, sir?' said Johnny. "'How do you do? I hope your mother is well.' "'Very well. Thank you, sir.' "'That's good. That's good. I have some business to discuss with her. Rather important business. I may come and see her to-morrow afternoon if she is disengaged. Will you kindly tell her?' "'Indeed I will, sir.' "'Thank you. Thank you. This room is very dark.' why are there no lights joan you should have lights there's no one else here is there no father johnny heard their voices echoing in the empty hall as he let himself out brandon shut his study door and looked about him the lamp on his table was lit his study had a warm and pleasant air with the books gleaming in their shelves and the fire crackling you needed a fire on these late summer evenings Nevertheless, although the room looked comfortable, he did not at once move into it. He stood there, beside the door, as though he was waiting for something. He listened. The house was intensely quiet. He opened the door and looked into the passage. There was no one there. The gas hissed ever so slightly, like a whispering importunate voice. He came back into his room, closing the door very carefully behind him, went across softly to his writing-table, sat down, and took up his pen. His eyes were fixed on the door, and then suddenly he would jerk around in his chair as though he expected to catch someone who was standing just behind him. 
then began that fight that always now must be waged whenever he sat down at his desk the fight to drive his thoughts like sheep into the only pen that they must occupy he must think now only of one thing there were others pictures ideas memories fears horrors even crowding hovering close about him and afterwards after pybus he would attend to them only one thing mattered now yes you gibbering idiot do your worst knock me down come on four to one like the cowards that you are strike me in the back take my wife from me and ruin my house i will attend to all of you shortly but first pybus his lips were moving as he turned over the papers was there someone in the room with him his head was aching so badly that it was difficult to think and his heart how strangely that behaved in these days five heavy slow beats then a little skip and jump then almost as though it had stopped beating altogether and another thing that made it difficult to work in that room was that the cathedral seemed so close it was not close really although you could so often hear the organ but now brandon had the strange fancy that it had drawn closer during these last weeks and was leaning forward with its ear to his house listening just as a man might funny how brandon now was always thinking of the cathedral as a person stones and bricks and mortar and bits of glass that's what the cathedral was and yet lately it had seemed to move and have a being of its own fancies fancies really brandon must attend to his business this business of pybus and foresight which in a week now was to be settled he talked to himself as he turned the papers over he had seen the bishop and ryle more or less persuaded and bentick major dark horse never could be sure of him foster rogers foster foster had he seen foster why did the mention of that name suddenly commence the unveiling for him of a scene upon which he must not look the crossing the bridge up the hill at the turnstile paying your shilling no 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 farther and bentick major that man laughed at him positively he dared when a year ago he would have bent down and wiped the dust off his shoes positively that man that worm that mean sycophantic he was beginning to get angry he must not get angry that's what puttyfoot had said that had been the one thing that old puttyfoot had said correctly he must not get angry not even with ronder at the mention of that name something seemed to stir in the room some one to move closer brandon's heart began to race round like a pony in a paddock very bad must keep quiet never get excited then for a moment his thoughts did range roaming over that now so familiar ground of bewilderment why 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 a year ago that and now this when he had done no one in the world any harm and had served god so faithfully why 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 back back to pybus this wasn't work he had much to do and no time to lose that enemy of his was working you could be sure of that only a week only a week was that someone moving in the room was there someone stealing behind him as they had done once as he turned sharply round rising in his chair no one there he got up and began stealthily to pace the floor 
the worst of it was that however carefully you went you could never be quite sure that someone was not just behind you someone very clever measuring his steps by yours you could never be sure how still the house was he stopped by his door after a moment's hesitation opened it and looked out no one there only the gas whispering what was he doing staring into the hall he should be working making sure of his work he went back to his table he began hurriedly to write a letter dear foster i cannot help feeling that i did not make myself quite clear when i was speaking to you yesterday about foresight as the best incumbent of the pibus living when i say best i mean of course most suitable when he said best had he meant most suitable suitable was not perhaps exactly the word for foresight it was something other than a question of mere suitability it was a keeping out of the bad as well as bringing in of the good suitable was not the word that he wanted what did he want the words began to jump about on the paper and suddenly out of the centre of his table there stretched and extended the figure of miss milton yes there she was in her shabby clothes and hat smirking he dashed his hand at her and she vanished he sprang up this was too bad he must not let these fancies get hold of him he went into the hall he called out loudly his voice echoing through the house joan joan almost at once she came strange the relief that he felt but he wouldn't show it she must notice nothing at all out of the ordinary she sat close to him at their evening meal and talked to him about everything that came into her young head sometimes he wished that she wouldn't talk so much she hadn't talked so much in earlier days had she but he couldn't remember what she had done in earlier days he was very particular now about his food always he had eaten whatever was put in front of him with hearty and eager appreciation now he seemed to have very little appetite he was always complaining about the cooking the potatoes were hard the beef was underdone the pastry was heavy and sometimes he would forget altogether that he was eating and would sit staring in front of him his food neglected on his plate it was not easy for joan not easy to choose topics that were not dangerous and so often he was not listening to her at all perhaps at no other time did she pity him so much and love him so much as when she saw him staring in front of him his eyes puzzled bewildered piteous like those of an animal caught in a trap all her old fear of him was gone but a new fear had come in its place sometimes in quite the old way he would rap out suddenly nonsense stuff and nonsense as though he knew anything about it or would once again take the whole place town and cathedral and all of them into his charge with something like i knew how to manage the thing what they would have done without but these defiances never lasted they would fade away into bewilderment and silence he would complain continually of his head putting his hand suddenly up to it and saying like a little child my head so bad such a headache but he would refuse to see Puttyfoot, had seen him once, and had immediately quarrelled with him, and told him that he was a silly old fool, and knew nothing about anything. And this when Puttyfoot had come with the noblest motives, intending to patronise and condole. After dinner to-night Joan and he went into the drawing-room. Often after dinner he vanished into the study, to work, 
but to-night he was tired very tired my dear so much effort in connection with this pibus business what's come to the town i don't know a year ago the matter would have been simple enough anything so obvious he sat in his old armchair whence for so many years he had delivered his decisive judgments no decisive judgments to-night he was really tired lying back his eyes closed his hands twitching ever so slightly on his knees joan sat near him struggling to overcome her fear she felt that if only she could grasp that fear like a nettle and hold it tightly in her hand it would seem so slight and unimportant but she could not grasp it it was compounded of so many things of the silence and the dullness of the precincts and the cathedral of whispering trees and steps on the stairs of her father and something strange that now inhabited him like a new guest in their house of her loneliness and of her longing for some friend with whom she could talk of her ache for johnny and his comforting loving smile but most of all strangely of her own love for her father and her desire her poignant desire that he should be happy again she scarcely missed her mother she did not want her to come back but she ached and ached to see once again that happy flush return to her father's cheek that determined ring to his voice that buoyant confident movement to his walk to-night she could not be sure whether he slept or no she watched him and the whole world seemed to hold its breath suddenly an absurd fancy seized her she fought against it for a time sitting there her hands tightly clenched then suddenly it overcame her some one was listening outside the window she fancied that she could see him tall dark lean his face pressed against the pane she rose very softly and stole across the floor very gently drew back one of the curtains and looked out it was dark and she could see nothing only the cathedral like a grey web against a sky black as ink a lamp across the green threw a splash of orange in the middle distance no other light the cathedral seemed to be very close to the house she closed the curtain and then heard her father call her joan joan where are you she came back and stood by his chair i was only looking out to see what sort of night it was father dear she said he suddenly smiled i had a pleasant little nap then he said my head's better there sit down close to me bring your chair nearer we're all alone here now you and i we must make a lot of one another he had paid so little attention to her hitherto that she suddenly realized now that her loneliness had during these last weeks been the hardest thing of all to bear she drew her chair close to his and he took her hand yes yes it's quite true I don't know what I should have done without you during these last weeks. You've been very good to your poor, stupid old father. She murmured something, and he burst out, Oh, yes, they do. That's what they say. I know how they talk. They want to get me out of the way and change the place, put in unbelievers and atheists. But they shan't, not while I have any breath in my body. He went on more gently. Why, just think, my dear, they actually want to have that man Whiston's here an atheist a denier of christ's divinity here worshipping in the cathedral and when i try to stop it they say i'm mad oh yes they do i've heard them mad out of date they've laughed at me ever since ever since that elephant you know dear that began it the circus she leaned over him 
father dear you mustn't pay so much attention to what they say you imagine so much just because you aren't very well and have those headaches and and because of other things you imagine things that aren't true so many people here love you love me he burst out suddenly starting up in his chair when they set upon me five of them from behind and beat me there in public with the lights and the singing he caught her hand gripping it there's a conspiracy joan i know it i've seen it a long time and i know who started it and who paid them to follow me everywhere i go there they are following me that old woman with her silly hat she followed me into my own house yes she did i'll read you a letter she said i hate you and i'll make you cry out over this they're all in it he's setting them on but he shan't have his way i'll fight him yet even my own son his voice broke joan knelt at his feet looking up into his face father falk wants to come and see you i've had a letter from him he wants to come and ask your forgiveness he loves you so much he got up from his chair almost pushing her away from him falk falk i don't know anyone called that i haven't got a son he turned looking at her then suddenly put his arms around her and kissed her holding her tight to his breast you're a good girl he said dear joan i'm glad you've not left me too i love you joan and i've not been good enough to you oh no i haven't many things i might have done and now it's too late too late he kissed her again and again stroking her hair then he said that he was tired very tired he'd sleep to-night he went slowly upstairs he undressed rapidly flinging off his clothes as though they hurt him as though someone else had unexpectedly come into the room he saw himself standing before the long glass in the dressing-room naked save for his vest he looked at himself and laughed how funny he looked only in his vest how funny were he to walk down the high street like that they would say he was mad and yet he wouldn't be mad he would be just as he was now he pulled the vest off over his head and continued to stare at himself it was as though he were looking at someone else's body the long toes the strong legs the thick thighs the broad hairless chest the stout red neck and then those eyes surely not his those strange ironical eyes he passed his hand down his side and felt the cool strong marble of his flesh then suddenly he was cold and he hurried into his nightshirt and his dressing-gown he sat on his bed something deep down in him was struggling to come up some thought some feeling some name falk it was as though a bell were ringing at a great distance in the sleeping town but ringing only for him falk the pain the urgent pain crept closer falk he got up from his bed opened his door looked out into the dark and silent house stepped forward carefully softly his old red dressing-gown close about him stumbling a little on the stairs feeling the way to his study door he sat in his armchair huddled up falk falk oh my boy my boy come back come back i want you i want to be with you to see you to touch you to hear your voice i want to love you love love i never wanted love before but now i want it desperately desperately someone to love me someone for me to love someone to be kind to 
falk my boy i'm so lonely it's so dark i can't see things as i did it's getting darker falk come back and help me End of book four, chapter two.